Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took his wife Sarai and his brother's son Lot and all the possessions that they had gathered and the persons whom they had acquired in Haran, and they set forth to go to the land of Canaan. When they had come to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give you this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved on to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent. With Bethel on the west and I on the east, and there he built an altar to the Lord and invoked the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on by stages toward the Negev. The word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. I doubt that we spend much time thinking about the blank spaces in the Bible. The break between the stories, the white space on the page. And so, Amy, thank you for your thoughtful reading of the ending of chapter 11. This space between Genesis 11 and 12, I think, might be the most significant break in the book of Genesis and maybe in the entire Old Testament. It's a turning point, and it's difficult to fully comprehend all that happens in chapter 12 without knowing how chapter 11 ends. Now Sarai was barren, she had no child, and Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, and his, who is Abraham's wife, and they went together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. So Terah is Abraham's father, and so he's taking his family from Ur, and he wants to go to Canaan, but they don't make it all the way, and they settle in Haran. And we hear in this story, that's where Abraham fathers dies. Okay, big deal. You know why? Because Abraham and Sarah are barren. They can't have any more kids. And they also have this orphaned nephew, Lot, that's it, the family tree can grow no more. It's impossible for any future generations to come from this line of Noah. Babies can't be expected. The human capacity to create what comes next ceases 
to exist. And so we jump into this blank space, a seemingly end to the story. And that's why Amy paused there. And I have to tell you, if it was not for God, that would be the end of the story. Have you ever been there in your own life when you realize that you do not have the ability to invent the life you have hoped for? God then speaks and he calls directly into that barren space. He says to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You see, there is a gift that is yet to be given, an invitation from God to move ahead, although they cannot figure out how in the world that will happen. All that they receive is this promise, and it's a promise of land, and I think most significantly, it's a promise of an heir. And through this promise, they will be blessed, not just for themselves, but so the world can be blessed. But you see how impossible this is? They have been trying for a baby and it hasn't worked. How all of a sudden can God say it will happen? How does that work? They can't know the end of the story at this point. So they have really two choices, to stay where they are or to trust that this promise given by God will speak them and call them into a new future. You see, the only way forward is through God's grace. Now again, I think every human story finds a place in this story. Think again, when was it in your life that you felt that everything that you had known had ended? Where you no longer had the ability to move things ahead on your own. All you saw in front of you at that point was blank space. When our human ability to create on our own has ceased, then all we have is the guts to trust in a God who will come to speak and call us in that barren space and call us ahead. And so somehow in faith, we're called to trust that promise. It's a terrifying moment for Abraham and Sarah, and it's a terrifying moment for us because how do we imagine what a new future could look like? But I also think it's terrifying to leave a place that you have known. And I don't know how much time we spend thinking about that facet of this story. It's so scary to move ahead only in faith, but it's completely scary to leave a place that you have known and loved. 
because there is comfort in what has been, in a sense of control when you know what to expect. It's like our favorite spot on the couch or our favorite pew. It's a place of known and comfort. Even if we're not growing or moving ahead, a predictable place feels secure and safe. Now there is so much for us to consider in this story in our own personal lives. But what I would like to think about today is how this story is speaking to us as a community, as a church, Mount Olivet Lutheran Church of Plymouth right now. This story is not just about two individuals, Abraham and Sarah. God calls these two people as his chosen people, Israel. And from the beginning of time, this is how God works. He calls people into relationship with him again and again. And so Abraham and Sarah are our founders of our faith. The same God who called creation into existence is now speaking into the emptiness, calling to life a new community. And you know what? God never stops speaking or calling or creating a way forward. So I wonder today, what is God speaking to us at Mount Olivet? How is he calling us forward in his promise? What is ahead for us? I dare to say, I think it's something new, and it will something that will bless us, but it will also be a blessing to the world, because this is how God works. He goes in narrow and personal to come out wide and inclusive. But in order to move ahead, it means that we're going to need to leave where we've been for the sake of what is yet to be given. It's really easy for churches like us to become comfortable with the expected and the known. And you guys know it. We know it. We have special things about church, like baptisms and weddings. And we have these endeared programs that we've had for so many decades. We love singing Silent Night on Christmas Eve. They're legacy moments and moments that seem unchanged even in a changing world. But the church has to change. More and more people are finding no connection to the ways of the church. Many people find the church rigid, stuck in their own ways and not relevant to what they're experiencing in life. Now, I'm not recommending that we depart from everything that we have known and take on a whole new way of being at church. There are so many life-giving, transforming things happening here that must continue. There is strength and stability in the continuation of traditions and theology that have held us for centuries. But I do think that we need to deeply dwell in this story and ask some questions. And so Connor's gonna help me out with a map. I wanna point out kind of a locational standpoint. So here was Abraham at the beginning with his father, Ur of the Chaldeans. And then they wanted to go over here to Canaan, but they ended up stopping in Haran, and that's where Abraham's father died. That's where the barren space is. Terah died. All that's left is Abraham and Sarah and Lot. It can't go any further. End of story. 
And it's at that space that God calls Abraham and Sarah and says, I promise you land in an air. You have to trust in me. I'm going to take you to this new promised land, which is Canaan. But how in the heck do they go there? And how does a baby come? I want us to think about our journey as Mount Olivet Lutheran Church, and we have a rich one. 135 years ago, that chapel was built, and Mount Olivet started as we have known it. It's almost like we were in Ur of the Chaldeans, but we couldn't stay there forever. The community was changing, people were changing, things were happening, and somehow we trusted in faith. We can't keep in a little white church. We've got to grow and expand and do new things. And I think here we are in 2015. And so I want us to think about what is Heron for us now? This land that we have grown to love. But if we stay where we're at, we have no future. But I also want us to think about Canaan here. What is that? What does Mount Olivet look like in that promised land? How are we taking tiny steps to move ahead and trust that God says this? There is stuff going on with you, Mount Olivet. You can't stay in your known and comfortable. You don't know how to pave a way forward but I have a future in store for you. You have to trust me. And so I give to you my promise that I will bless you so you will be a blessing. Now the only way we're gonna be able to figure out this journey is to create space to listen for the voice of God who indeed speaks and calls. And how do we do this? How do we listen for God? This week during a session where Dr. Michael Chan was here from Luther Seminary talking to adults and to ninth graders about what it means to be called, he was actually dwelling in this story. And a faithful ninth grader just pushed his hand up in the air and he said, Dr. Chan, I just don't think God speaks to me like he spoke to Abraham. I have never had an experience like that. What an honest confession from a young heart. It is most difficult to know exactly how God will speak to us, but we hear from this story and from countless others in the Bible that he does. It does require, though, some thoughtful space to notice and to name. What are things that bubble up in our hearts when we read scripture like today? What are you wondering about? What are other people noticing? Where are we feeling an itch to say, you know what, I think we need to be about this. Not quite sure how we do it. Who are people in our community that may not belong to our church that are up to something and we say to ourselves, God is there. What are those things going on? That's God speaking to us. Now, I don't think it comes as quickly as it seems when we read these first few verses of chapter 12. It takes time. It takes intention. And it takes a community with guts enough to trust that God's voice will speak and call. But it also means we need to leave the place we are at and venture forward, reliant on God. 
Now, sometimes, like Abraham, we do hit a dead end, and the only option for moving ahead is to say, I guess I'm going to do it. But often, we can get settled in the fixed and not even consider that God may be up to something new. Now, I have to be honest, I don't have the agenda for what comes next for us at Mount Olivet. I am, however, convicted in what this story reveals about God. He continues to pave a future, and quite astonishingly, he invites us to be a part of creating it. He continues to call us forth from the place we have known to a new place without quite knowing the way. Now, the modern world would scoff at this and will think that we are crazy for plunging ahead without an exact plan or an expected outcome. But when you think about Abraham and Sarah and us, all we have is a promise. And that promise is God's mode of presence, and it's reliant only on his faithfulness. A promise that has been trustworthy and life-giving since the beginning of time. A promise that can make the impossible possible, like bringing a baby to Abraham and Sarah and ultimately raising Jesus from the dead. Now, there is much unknown in trusting God's promise, but what is known is truth. God is speaking a new future to us at Mount Olivet. We take with us all we have known in the path. This paves the way. Now, we can certainly choose to stay in the comfortable and predictable, but there is gift that is yet to be given, a future with hope. I think all of this is worthy of thought, prayer, and conversation. What seems threatening about this to us? What seems hopeful? Where in the world do you think Mount Olivet will be in that land of Canaan? God is calling us into a pilgrimage to bless us, to be present with us, so that the world may be blessed. May we step ahead with hope, trusting in God's faithfulness.